Bibles to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I want to read just one single verse, and it's a verse I think that we all are very familiar with and acquainted with. And the Bible simply says this, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Now, we often read this verse and we, we tend to think that the things that the New Testament commands are more suggestions or do this and you'll be happy type of things. But remember that the apostle said, this is the will of God for you. And it's in the same spirit as when he said, it's the will of God that we keep ourselves from fornication and that we keep our, our vessels a sanctified vessel. Amen. It's in the same mindset as the Ten Commandments. Whenever Paul said, or not Paul, but whenever God wrote to Moses and he said, do not commit adultery, do not steal, etc., etc., and all those commandments in the Old Testament. This is the will of God. And there's a reason for it. I want to talk to you about the importance of gratitude. I know it's almost Thanksgiving. We got another about a week and a half away before it's Thanksgiving. And a lot of people are thinking of turkey and pumpkin pie and hash brown casserole or green bean casserole and stuffing. And, and of course, you know, what we all value the most, which is family, is what many of us think during this particular holiday. But it's so much more than that. It's a reminder of an attitude that should characterize Christians all throughout all throughout the year, and not just one particular day of the year. And it's an attitude of thankfulness and one of gratitude. And I think sometimes we don't realize just how important this is. So I want to take just a few minutes this morning, and I want to talk about the importance of gratitude. Let me start off by saying this. Life itself is a gift. If it's the only gift we ever receive, we are blessed. If you got out this morning and you went and walked your dog or you went outside and you felt the cold wind on you and you felt the warmth of the sun on your back, that's a gift from God. The sun is a gift. The wind is a gift. The weather is a gift. Even all four seasons are gifts from God. The ability to breathe and to be healthy and to live, uh, you know, to live uh, a good life and to be able to make choices that are right choices in this life is one of the greatest gifts, if not the greatest gift, we will ever receive outside of salvation. But as is often the case, life can sometimes get ugly, and it can be filled with pain. And I'm sure that I'm not the only one to, to feel that another fact about life is that it rarely, if ever, fully works out the way you had expected or thought that it would. It's like, it's like building a house. From the ground up, if you've ever done that, if you've ever had the painful experience of trying to, to build a house from, from, from nowhere, and you get the contractor, and et cetera, and you know that everything always goes perfectly, it, you know, the contractors are always on time, and there's never any problems, there's never any zoning or coding problems, never any issues, wouldn't that be great if it worked out that way, but that is rarely, if ever the case, it, there's always additional expenses and so it never works out the way you thought that it would. But this thought occurred to me this week that in life, you take the good with the bad. Because that's kind of what life is. 
And you always have to keep in mind that no matter what season you're in, and even during seasons where the bad seems to far outweigh the good, life itself is still a gift from God. A statement that I've learned to live by is this, is that God does not always seem to be fair, but he's always good. And fair in the sense of that he gives everybody the same thing. Or the same, or the exact same amount. And, and, you know, you might look at other people and it might seem like, well, they're so far more blessed than we are. Or than my family is. They, they might drive a better car. They might live in a better house. And some of that might be because maybe they made better decisions. They worked harder, etc. But some of that also is likely due to the fact that God seems to have blessed them in that area more than he has blessed us. And so it doesn't seem like God is always fair in that sense that that everybody gets the same amount at all times. But God is good in the sense that he does not give us what we deserve. And so from that perspective, anything that we get from God is far more than we ever deserved to receive from his hands. Having an attitude of gratitude is one of the most important steps in spiritual maturity. From the book of Philippians chapter 4, the apostle says this, Be careful for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So the apostle Paul said that even your prayers cannot get answered without gratitude and thanksgiving. Sometimes we're caught up in the, in the trap of just asking God for things over and over and over and over again, but never thanking him for receiving those things. But that's where faith comes in. Whenever you ask God to receive something from his hands, and in that moment, in that exact moment, you stop after you've asked in faith, and you say, Lord, I thank you for this, because your word says I can receive it. At that point, your faith begins to grow. And in that moment is where you fulfill what the Apostle Paul says, first ask and then receive it with thanksgiving. Hebrews 13 and 15, he says this, By him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now when, when the writer of Hebrews talked about the fruit of our lips, it's an old Hebraism taken from Hosea chapter 14 and verse 2. Where Hosea says this, Take with you words and turn to the Lord, saying to him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. Hosea was saying, Lord, I know that under the Old Testament law, if I'm going to give a thank offering, it requires a certain amount of sacrifice on my part. It, re- it requires uh, you know, a certain turtle dove, a certain calf. And a certain ritual that I have to go through. But Hosea said, I'm going to take it a step farther. When I praise your name, I'm not just going to do it by bringing a calf or a sacrifice. But I'm going to bring the calves of my lips. And it's not the physical calves that we bring to God as an offering. But our words of thanksgiving and praises are like those Old Testament sacrifices that they bring to God as an offering of thanksgiving. We're not bringing a calf anymore. We're not under the law of Moses. But we're bringing our worship and our gratitude to God as a way of saying thank you for what you've done for us. Because 
When we lose this attitude, we default to a spirit of complaining. And few things are more spiritually dangerous than complaining. Now consider this, before we go any farther, that everything that we, are, we have to be the most thankful for are the eternal things. And all of the things that we complain about are only temporary. And name me one thing that you complained about this year. If you'll just take mental note in your mind. One thing that you complained about this year that was not temporary in nature. And yet everything, the more weightier things of life, the things that we ought to, to deem, you know, to highly esteem are the things that are of eternal in value, love and faith and hope and charity. Those are the things that we have to be thankful for. And so the apostle says this, 2 Corinthians 4, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. He says, don't look at it. In other words, look not at, as a captain of a boat sets his sights on a singular course, and through the long stormy night and through the stormy gales, he keeps his eyes set on that distant horizon, that one spot where he wants to be. He looks at it, and, and no matter how much the storms rage, he's got his eyes, he's got his compass set, he's got his heart set on that singular destination, and he doesn't let anything deter him from that. And what, and what he has his sights set on will determine his ultimate destiny. And so the, the Apostle Paul said, we look not at the things that are, or we look at the things that are eternal, keeping them always in our mind's eye. But it is so easy to get distracted, especially this year when so much has happened and so much turmoil and so many uh, seemingly negative things has happened. It's easy to get sidetracked by those things and lose sight of the things that are of eternal. But make no mistake, this can and will determine your spiritual destiny for all eternity. Let me take you back to the Old Testament, all the way back to the book of Numbers, chapter 14. Now, just by way of setting the context of this, this is after the spies came back from their little spying journey in Canaan, and only two came back with a good report, and the rest were evil. Numbers 14 and 20, the Lord said, I am pardoned according to thy word, but as I live, as, I truly, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have tempted me now these ten times, and have not hearkened to my voice. And he goes on to say that they will not see the promised land. They're going to die in this wilderness. But here's the point. The Bible says that they complained, or they provoked the Lord, as he said, tempted me ten times. As far as I can tell, they were twice at the Red Sea. Uh, when they said, because there were no graves in Egypt, you brought us here to die. There was twice concerning the water. One was at the water of Merah, twice about manna, twice about quails, once by the, by the calf whenever Moses had gone up for 40 days and they said, well, he left us here to die, so we might as well worship a golden calf. Might as well have a God that we can see, one that we're familiar with. So we're going to go back to Egypt, not physically, but in our hearts. We're going to go back there. And then the last time was where we just read once in the wilderness of Paran. This was the very last time that they complained. And when they came, and whenever, when they were at the entrance of their promised land and God said to go forward, but they were so disheartened by the size of the giants in the land, they forgot how big their God was. 
And it wasn't just a lack of faith that kept them out of their promised land. That's generally what we attribute what we what we attribute this to, but it was a serious lack of gratitude and thankfulness. Because complaining kept Israel from their promises and only exemplified a lack of faith. The lack of faith, I believe, was only a symptom of what was really in their hearts. And that was they had departed from God a long time ago. And I'm going to prove that scripturally. But all they chose to see was the problems, the challenges, the size of the giants, the heat of the desert, the lack of meat, their thirst for water. And they forgot the miracles and the plagues in Egypt that God had delivered them from and walked with them through. They forgot the Red Sea parting and how God fought their battles for them and slaying their enemies. You remember that one particular enemy, the Amalekites and Moses, as long as his hands were lifted up and Aaron and Hur uh, stood on either side of him. And as long as his hands were lifted up then they would win the battle. That was only by the providential hand of God. At that point, they would have been wiped out as a nation had it not been for God. But they forgot about the providential hand of God that led them by fire, by a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. In the hand of God that led them through that rugged wilderness. So let us never forget the many things that God has done for us up to this point. Because if you do, then you could be overthrown in the wilderness if you forget. That's why the psalmist says this in Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So he said, do not forget his benefits. Do not forget what the Lord has done for us. At some point in our life, we got to kind of step back and say, you know what? I know that I'm going through a lot of problems right now. I know there's a lot of seemingly things that are wrong in my life. But you know what? I know also that God has done a lot for me. He saved me. He healed me. He gave me a family. He's done so much for me up to this point. And if you have to, do like that song says. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. Write them down if you have to. But keep your mind on those things. Because giving thanks is the easiest way to build faith and to grow your faith. Complaining made their faith grow small. Whenever they complained, they focused on the things that were wrong. They had their mind on the things that were around them immediately to their physical senses. And they missed the reality of that which was real. And what is real is not what can be seen. It's what cannot be seen. The reality is that everything that we can see came from something that cannot be seen. And that's kind of how faith works. Faith speaks those things that be not as though they were. Faith calls those things that be not and stands on the promises of God. But, but complaining made their faith grow small. It made the people of the land seem like giants. It made a fruitful field seem like a desert with no water. It made a parted Red Sea seem like a watery grave. Whenever they came to the banks of that Red Sea and all they could see was the big vast sea before them, they forgot the pillar of fire that was literally right behind them, guarding them and guiding them from the Egyptians. And so 
we have two choices. We could look at the waters that are ahead of us and see where there's no way. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how it's going to work out. But you know what? If I just turn around for a minute, I'm going to see that there's a God that said, I'll be your re-reward. I'm going to take up the things that you can't see. I'm guiding you from things that you can't even know about, that you can't even see about. I'm bigger than you ever could have imagined. So sometimes we got to be like David in that cave when he was running from King Saul. And in one particular place, he just, you know, in, in one particular place, he was hiding away in a cave, picked up his pen or whatever he wrote with and said, I will bless the Lord at all times. I know things are bad. I know things are awful. I know it seems like Saul's going to catch up to me in any moment, but I don't care. I'm just going to bless the Lord right now. I'm just going to lift my hands out. And you know what? In that moment in that cave, I believe that, uh, that, that God came down and helped David and raised his faith to a new level and encouraged his heart. But complaining sees the things that our flesh sees. Giving thanks allows us to see things the way God sees them and allows us to realize our miracle. There is a distinct connection between giving thanks for God for what you have not received yet and receiving your miracle. Having the faith for that. Sometimes it seems like we don't have enough faith for it. You know, if you don't have enough faith for it, just lift your hands and thank God for it ahead of time. And, 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 and as you're doing that, you will find that your faith will begin to grow in that moment. If complaining increases doubt, then giving thanks will grow your faith. If only when they had lacked faith, they would have just worshipped God and thanked Him for what He'd done. They would have saved themselves a 38-year journey. Through the wilderness. How many headaches and problems will we save ourselves from if we learn this lesson of gratitude and remembering what the Lord has done for us? They were overthrown in the wilderness not by the hot desert sand or the intense heat of the sun or the lack of provisions, but by their attitude and their lack of vision. It could be said that their lack of faith was merely a symptom of their dark spiritual hearts and their lack of gratitude. And let me tell you this, they came to a place many times, at least ten times that we know from Scripture, where, where they said, God led us here to leave us here. You've led us this far. Matter of fact, those were just about their exact words. They said, well, you brought us out of Egypt to make us die in the desert. You led us here to leave us here. Let me tell you, if God led you out of Egypt, he didn't lead you out of Egypt to leave you in the middle of a snake-infested desert. He's going to keep leading you. He's going to keep his hand upon you. He's not going to let you down. But they fought. Rather, they forgot the promises of God. And let me tell you this. God had already told them, you're going to go through the wilderness. You're going to get through it. You're going to... You're going to go into houses you didn't build. You're going to sit in, uh, in vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to eat from those places. I'm going to send the hornet and, and the plagues ahead of you, and I'm going to drive out those seven nations. And while I don't drive out, I'm going to give you the faith to drive it out. But they did move into that place. But before they did, man, God had to get the Egypt out of them. From Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, the Bible says this, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice, harden and not your hearts, as in the day of provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years. 
Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in their hearts and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Watch what he says now. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. There is a cycle here that, that is mentioned in the book of Hebrews. And if we read right over it, we, we, we kind of miss it. But first, he mentions the day of provocation in the wilderness. This is unquestionably in that passage in Numbers 14 where we read where they were at the banks of, 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 of their promised land and the spies came back with an evil report. At least most of them did except but two. And they said, well, we're just little grasshoppers. God's not big enough. We can't do this, blah, blah, blah. That was the point at which they provoked God. That was the 10th time they had complained. That was the, that was the 10th time that they complained. And that was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. And they provoked God, and God sentenced them, that generation, to die in the desert. And it was because they were complaining and not having gratitude. And so that, in those places where they complained, their faith shrunk more than it had before. And in, in the times whenever God had given them chances to grow their faith, instead it didn't turn into a spiritual growth. It came into like going back. And a lack of faith, receiving less faith. And so sometimes when we pray for faith and God sends problems our way, we're like, Lord, I just want faith, but I don't want the problems. Well, everybody wants the miracle, but nobody wants to be the miracle. But if you're going to have greater faith, then God's got to give you some mountains to climb. Amen. And so it led them to be overthrown in the wilderness, but more than that, it made them to depart from the living God. Verse 12 again says, Take heed, brethren. After, you know, this is after they've been provoked, after they provoked God, and after they've turned their heart away, after it says that God swore in his wrath that they would not enter into his rest, that is not enter into the promised land. He says, Take heed, lest there be in any of you like they had an evil heart of unbelief, and that spirit of unbelief made them depart. From the living God. In other words, it led them to be overthrown in the wilderness. And more than that, it made them depart from the living God in their hearts. Oh, they still had their religion. They still had their pillar of fire by night and their pillar of cloud by day. They still had their rituals and their ceremonies and their thank offerings and their blood sacrifices and all these other things. But what they did not have was a heart that was turned to the Lord and was perfect before God. They had departed from God. And while their hearts were turned away, Satan crept in and stole their faith and kept them from fully realizing all that God had spoken to them. This is so gravely important, especially this year, because we have seen all hell break loose in 2020. And if we are not careful, it can be easy for us to allow the problems and the issues and the trials of 2020 to steal our faith away from what God already said he's going to do. Now, in case you need a reminder or a faith builder, let me tell you, we are going to see the greatest revival that this world has ever seen. I don't know who's going to be president. I don't know who's going to have the House or the Senate. I don't know what's going to happen in the world. But I know this. God already said, my glory will fill the earth. In those days, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. 
We are living in that days where we are going to see a torrential downpour of the Spirit of God. We are going to see millions come to the Lord. We are not far off from that great and mighty harvest coming in. Amen. But Satan wants to steal our faith. And if we are not careful, we can miss what God wants to do in this hour. So gratitude opens us up to what God has for us. When I say, Lord, I thank you for what you did for me. And if you don't feel much faith when you say that, then keep saying it. And say it over and over and over again until you feel faith. But unthankfulness opens us up to the voice of Satan. It opens up our hearts to the voice of Satan, and you can depart from God in your heart with not ever, without ever leaving your place of service, simply by your lack of faith. And you know what? Whenever we read from the book of Matthew, in one place, you know, Jesus said, they're going to come to me in that day, and they're going to say, well, Lord, uh, we did many mighty miracles in your name. And and, and we, we, we healed the sick, we raised the dead, we cast out devils, we did all these great things, we preached, we taught, you know, we, we, we ushered, et cetera, we serviced, I was in the welcome grounds, I did all these things, but he's going to turn away as if he had never known us and say, depart from me. Because the truthfulness of it is, is that when we don't have an attitude, then we, a good attitude towards God and gratitude, then we open ourselves up to the voice of the enemy and an evil heart of unbelief creeps in and it makes us depart from the living God and you can depart from him without ever leaving your place of service. And they reached the point, they meaning Israel, where Jesus said to them, this is in Matthew 15, this people draws nigh unto me with their mouth and honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. They taught the Talmud, which was the oral tradition of the Jews. That was, you know, in that place where, where they said, you know, you got to wash your hands before you eat or, you, or everything you touch is considered unclean. That was, that was just Talmudic Pharisaical teachings. That was passed down somewhere in Babylon. They wrote all that stuff down. The Kabbalah, which was a mystic book of the Jews. They had all these extra biblical revelations. And, and Jesus said, none of it means anything. All of the extras that you're adding in mean nothing. What I want is a heart that's on fire for God. A heart that is steadily seeking. A heart that is eager to believe. You wonder why he had to come to a virgin. You know, they say uh, you know, that Mary, the mother of the Lord, was probably only about 12 to 14 years of age whenever, whenever she was impregnated by the Spirit of God with the baby Jesus. And you wonder why that he came to her. Maybe it was because she was maybe the only one who was willing to say, be it unto me, Lord, according to thy word. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know a man. I'm not even married yet. I don't know how you're going to work all this out because they're going to see me pregnant and they're going to think, you know, that you know they're going to stone me to death. I don't know how this is going to happen, but Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And it took, a, you know, a, a 12 or 14-year-old virgin who didn't have great status in Israel but the Lord appeared to her and did great things because she was quick to believe God. She was quick to be thankful for what the Lord had done. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 where he said, and, and the Lord humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not. Neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee to know that man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. You understand that the Lord said, I know you are hungry in the desert. I know that you are thirsty in the desert. But I was squeezing you to see what would come out. 
And as I squeezed you, I saw grumbling. I saw complaining. I saw you uh, build a golden calf. I saw you and your hearts turn away from the living God. I saw, you, I saw that you lacked faith. Amen. And so the Lord had to leave them in the desert long enough to let the Egypt get starved out of them. God suffered them to hunger. In other words, the manna helped them, but it was kind of like eating Chinese food. You ever ate Chinese food and then an hour later you're hungry? Or maybe two hours? That's kind of what it was like. It, it filled them up, but, but it, they weren't stuffed like you're going to be stuffed on Thanksgiving probably. They were, they were still a little bit hungry. They could have ate a little bit more. And it was enough to keep them alive, to keep them healthy, to keep them moving, to give them energy. But they remembered the times in Egypt where they had the garlics, the leeks, the onions. They had all these vegetables. They had all these fish and everything that they had. And, and, and they said, we want to go back to then because then, you know, we ate to our full. And we were stuffed. But the Lord was saying, I'm literally starving the Egypt out of you right now. You're in a season right now where you don't have more than enough. But you've got to realize when you don't have more than enough, I am your more than enough. I am your more than enough. I am your God. I am the Lord. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And when you don't have food on your table, God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm not going to leave you here. But sometimes it's not more than enough. Sometimes it's just enough because we have to realize that when all we have is just enough in the material world, our God is more than enough. If I can hold on to my gratitude for the things God has already done for me, I can survive whatever another day in the desert may bring. If that is the only thing that you take and remember from this word today, please remember that. We don't know what's around the corner. I think there's great things for the church, but as is always the case, there's always going to be another tornado, always going to be another you know, bombing somewhere, always going to be another war until Jesus comes. There's not going to be perfect peace on earth until he comes. But until that day comes, whatever tomorrow may bring, if I can enter it like Moses on that mountaintop fighting the Amalekites, if I can just keep my hands lifted, if I can just keep on saying, Lord, I bless you right now, if I can be like David in that cave, I will bless the Lord at all times. I don't know, Saul might find me tonight. He might slay me with a sword, but right now I'm going to bless the Lord at all times and his praise will continually be in my mouth. Then whatever tomorrow may bring, I can survive it because I know that God is with me and I've got the faith to face my giant. And lastly, they lost their faith for where they were going when they did not see all that God had done for them up to that point. They forgot. All they saw was been eating manna for 25 years. You, I don't care how much you like something. You eat it every day, every meal for 25 years. You're going to get sick of it too even if it does come from heaven. But that was the point. God was starving the Egypt out of them. But all they saw was those snakes in the desert. All they, all they focused on was the heat, the burning heat of the sun. All they saw was how it got cold at night. But they forgot all that God had done for them. And when they did that, then they lost sight of where they were going. Let us never forget that this world is not our home.
This world is not, this is not our final destination. There is a city that I have my eyes set to. There is an eternal city with a king, amen, that doesn't have to be reelected every four years. There's an eternal king where, uh, amen, where the Bible says there's walls of jasper and gates of pearl and streets of gold. An angel choir singing there. I want to make that my home. This world is only temporary. So why should we focus on that when God has so much more in store for us? As the scripture says, eyes hath not seen and ears hath not heard. Neither hath it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. It's going to be greater than we could ever imagine. It's going to be bigger than we ever could have dreamed of. It's going to be better than our wildest dreams could ever hope to be. One day when we see him face to face, it's going to be worth it all. And when they finally had made it through their wilderness journey, when they finally had crossed through the wilderness, and on the banks of the Jordan River, that generation remembered that God has already done something like this before. You see, they came to the banks of the Jordan River, and at that point, the Jordan River had overflowed its banks. So if God is going to do a miracle, it's going to be even more of a miracle than what it had been if we had came earlier, before the Jordan had overflowed its banks. And sometimes God waits until Lazarus has been dead for four days before he gives us his miracle. Because all we want, you know, oh, you know, like the disciples said, Lord, you know, I think it was Mary that said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. Mary was just thinking, Lord, I want you to heal him of whatever this was. And God would have certainly got the glory for that. But Jesus was thinking so far, so much more bigger than what Mary and Martha and even all these disciples were thinking of. They wanted a simple healing, but Jesus was thinking of a resurrection from the dead. He was thinking of a timeless miracle bigger than their minds, bigger than they even had faith to believe of in that moment. Because nobody had ever done that. Lazarus come forth and he came up out of the grave. And so, uh, so Jesus, God, God's sights and visions is always bigger than ours. But they came to the banks of that Red Sea, or sorry, of that Jordan River, and they remembered, it seems like we've been here before. My father told me about this story, that they came to the banks of the Red Sea about 40 years ago. And that generation did not grumble and complain and, and say, oh, we're just, we're just going to die here. That generation did not do that. That generation lifted their hands in faith and said, God, what will you have us to do in faith? And then God knew, okay, now I know that you're ready to, to, to walk in, to come into everything that I have for you. Because, you, because you're not looking at all the problems. You're, instead, you're looking to me. And what happened, you know, the Bible says that the Lord commanded Joshua, I want the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant, to go into the water first. And as soon as their ankles touched the, touched the banks of that river, the waters parted on both sides, and they went across on dry ground. And, and whenever they had came through, Joshua took 12 stones from the Jordan River. And the Bible says this in Joshua 4. And those 12 stones which they took out of Jordan to Joshua pitch in Gilgal. And he spake unto the children of Israel, saying, When your children shall ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel came over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dries up the waters of Jordan from before you until you are passed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea when he dried up from before us until we were gone over. One day, one day our children or our children's children are going to ask us about 2020. 
One day they're going to ask us about that pandemic. And I hope in that day you don't talk about how bad it is and how awful it was. I hope you're able to look at your grandchildren in the eyes and say, you know what? Things were bad, but I've got some stones here. And these stones were not just symbolizing that I had to pass through a Jordan River or a Red Sea, but the stones symbolized the fact that God brought me through. He did something that I could not do in my own abilities. He did something that I may not have even had the full faith for. And we can look back on 2020 and we can see all all the bad things that have happened and and all the horrible things that have happened this year. And you know what? All I can say is I'm going to take a stone out of that river and I'm going to place it on the banks of that river. And I'm going to say this is the moment that God did something great for me. He led me through. Amen. Time, you know, finances were bad. The stock market crashed. There was a global pandemic. But I'm still standing here by the grace of the Almighty God. I still got my hands lifted up. I've got more faith now than I had 365 days ago. Not because I'm so great, but because we kept an attitude of gratitude. And we will walk into everything that God has for us if we keep this attitude. Amen. And as you give thanks, and as you stand there, and as you give thanks, I promise you, your faith will grow. I know that I'm, I'm pretty much done now, and I know that we obviously can't have a typical altar call, but what I would like you to do, I know some of you might be you know, doing other things while you're listening to this. I want you to just stop for a moment. If you've got a family in your living room, I want you to stop, and I want you all just to kneel down where you're at and just pray, and I want you to just give thanks to God for five or ten minutes of gratitude of what the Lord has done for us. And if you're feeling that your faith is a little low, I promise you the Lord will be a friend that sticks closer than a brother, and he will be with you there through that time to lift you up. He will be your counselor. He will be your friend. Amen. God bless you. We will see you Wednesday night. In Jesus' name.